welcome to another message presented by the ministry of Christian Faith Fellowship. We are fulfilling the call of God on this ministry to preach the Word of God without compromise, raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that we have to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. Pastor's been talking a lot lately about Passover. I'm not going to go to that today. Basically, my, my message is going to be on authority, but without the Passover, we have no authority. Passover comes from two Greek words, and what they both mean together is to pass over. Fairly simple. Because they followed the directions of God through Moses, killed the lamb, roasted it, took the blood, painted it on the doorposts and lentils, in faith, pastors made that very clear, they had no idea. They went in the house with blood on their door, sat down, and that night hoped with all hope that when the death angel came, he would pass over. But they followed every instruction. They roasted the lamb. They ate every part of it. And there's one thing that we leave out of what happened after the Passover. 600,000 men left Egypt that next day. Psalm 105 says, He brought them forth also with silver and gold. They took all the spoil of Egypt, everything that the Egyptians had to give them to get them out of there. They took it. And there was not one feeble person among them. Because of what happened in the Passover, no sickness was left. The death angel passed over, spared everybody from Israel or from the Hebrew children. And there was not one sick one that walked out of there. We have our own. Passover lamb. He's already taken care of everything we need to have done. Why are there so many sick ones among us? So I'm going to start this. Everything started in Genesis, of course. I always seem to go to Genesis when I teach or preach or talk. Around verse 2 and verse, around chapter 2 and verse 7, God made man in his own image. It's all simple, basic stuff we've all been taught before. He breathed into him the breath of life. The first thing that the man saw when he opened his eyes was the face of God. He got his image from the face of God. Here I am. I'm just like this guy. God planted him in a garden, gave him everything he needed. Somebody asked me one time, why did he not make man first? The man had had been treading water for quite a while because he didn't make dry land till the third or fourth day. So what's the man going to do? He's going to be sitting there in the water. But the reason he made man last is because he wanted to give him everything that he needed to sustain himself. So he planted him in the garden and gave him dominion. Can we all look that word up sometime? We have dominion. Ownership. Everything belongs to us that we used to or still does belong to God. He gave it 
to us. He saw that it wasn't good for man to be alone. Sometimes I question that. No, wait a minute, that ain't right. <laughs> so, so he put him to sleep and took a rib and made a woman to be his helper. I like where he, the bone he used, the rib, because the rib covers the most valuable artery or article in our body. It covers our heart. He took it from our side. That's where the woman stands, by our side. She's a delicate, precious being, but she's strong enough to protect our heart. Amen. He told them to be fruitful and multiply. He gave them instructions to follow. I don't know if he's ever learned that part yet. We don't follow instructions well. But he gave him instructions to follow and he gave him a will to choose. He instructed Adam. He told Adam. He talked to Adam. This is what you can do. Everything in the garden belongs to you. You can eat of every tree in the garden except this one. If you eat from that one on that day, you'll die. Done. I don't see anywhere where he told Eve. That's why I believe, and pastors preached it, that she was deceived. She really didn't know unless Adam told her. And the way husbands and wives talk today, it's possible he didn't tell her. <laughs> but Satan came, this vile serpent, deceived the woman. But as near as I can tell, Adam was right there with her. And I never figured out why he didn't put a stop to it, but he didn't. And since she ate it, pastors taught this too. He didn't want to, Adam didn't want to be without his wife, so he took the fruit and ate it also. So they're both now separated from God. So that's how that plan turned out. Now, I want to, I want to let you all know, first of all, and I know you all know this, none of, plan, none of God's plans were bad. God didn't give us a messed up plan. We messed up his plan. Okay? God has good plans. But we have the ability to mess them up. So, God had another plan. A few years down the road in a tiny stable in a little town called Bethlehem, here come plan B. And you all know that story. But... Do we know what the birth of that child and his life and ultimate death, burial, and resurrection really did for mankind? Do we really, really, really understand it? We work at it really hard. When I used to teach things in Sealy, when I had Bible study down there, I seemed to be teaching the same thing every Sunday. Because every time we'd get started and somebody would have a question, it always went back to the same stuff. And I had one guy in the class who was pretty smart and knew what was going on. And he used to remind me, you're plowing the same ground every week. I said, well, the power of pastoring is repetition. And we, re- we repeated a lot over and over and over. But Jesus came for two reasons. The first reason was to show us how we could live. He came from heaven to earth to show the way. This is how you can live. And everything he did, we can do as believers. 
Right? The Word says that. And, and, and pastors taught it over and over and over. I don't know if we, if we really have that much trouble getting it in. It takes a while to get through here. It shouldn't take long to get from here to here. That's not very far. 18 inches from your head to your heart. That's where it needs to be is in your heart. But he was there to show the disciples and ultimately us how we could live. Everything he did as he walked the earth, we can do. We can do. We should be doing. Although he was 100% God, he was also 100% man. Could he have stumbled? I believe he could have. Did he stumble? Never. Because we're now born again and created new, can we stumble? Do we need to stumble? That's good answers. You guys are... So as I kind of wrap this little piece up, turn to he second excuse me, Second Timothy chapter three. Jesus told the disciples, one of the last things he told them that as the Father has sent me, so I send you. The things that God sent Jesus here to do, when Jesus left the earth, one of the last things he told us was go. He gave us authority. Let me find it here. I've got a definition. Authority is the power or right to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. Or a person or organization having power or control in a particular particular, typically political or administrative sphere. Sphere. Jesus has given us the authority to use the power that God gave him. Amen. He did it by giving us the Holy Spirit. He promised us when he left, I'll not leave you an orphan. I'll not leave you helpless. I'll not leave you without anything. I'm going to send you another helper. Now my question is, do you have an employed Holy Spirit? Or is he unemployed? In the beginning, it says, before God spoke, the Holy Spirit was just there, hovering over the face of the deep. He was waiting on something. He was waiting on the Word. He was waiting on God to speak. He was waiting on God to say something. And he's doing the same thing today. He's sitting right here. He's sitting right here. In our heart, in the midst of us, with us, all day long, all night long, waiting for us to... Say something. When we say something from the word, he moves. If it's not of the word, he's still unemployed. He's still just sitting there. So in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, we're going to see what Paul is saying to this young pastor. This guy's going out into the world to do what pastors and teachers do. He's going out to get with people and get them born again. Get them to understand the kingdom of God. Talk to them about different things. 
He's getting Christians right. In, he, he, for the most part today, though, Christians are right in the middle of these perilous times. When, when COVID come out in 2020, whenever it was, the world went into a bunker. And it wouldn't have been hard to find a Christian to pray for them because the Christians would have been in the bunker with them. Because most Christians had just as much fear of the epidemic as the world did. But we're not supposed to be that way. So 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 5 it says this, This know also that in the last days perilous times will come. Here we are. For men will be lovers of themselves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to their parents. Holy cow. Anyway, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, unforgiving, false accusers, without self-control, fierce, despisers of those that do good, despisers of those that do good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. I was real happy to see the Rangers win the World Series. But I wonder how many people stayed out of church on Sunday because the Rangers were playing ball or the Astros or whoever. The thing is with this, these five scriptures, and I'll read verse 5 in just a second, he's not talking about the world. He's talking about the church. And in a lot of places, the church is gone just to where those scriptures are. Miss Brandy had a visual for you this Wednesday night that goes right along with verse 5. The little balloon in the jar, when the water was poured over it, the, 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 the tribulations, the things that were going on, floated. It was a good Christian. It was seated, bound together, in love with God, had a good relationship. Amen. And he floated on top of the tribulation. He was good to go. But the rock, verse 5 says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. And that's from everybody in these first four verses. Also, to turn away from those people. But the guy with the rock, he has a form of godliness. You'll see him on Sunday morning with his big Schofield Bible. Got his cross about this big. Got his I Love Jesus bumper sticker. Got everything that makes him look like the perfect Christian. Except a relationship. He's here on Sunday. You probably won't see him on Sunday night. And most likely you won't see him on Wednesday. You won't see him on Monday for prayer. You won't see him out there at 9 o'clock next, next month helping set up for Polar Express. He's going to do his duty on Sunday morning. And now he's good to go. I've appeased God. I've done what he asked me to do. So like I said, Paul's talking to Timothy about the people of the world. Not talking about the world. He's talking about the church. In many cases, the people in the church look no different than the people out, out there. The thing that's bothered me for a lot of years after really getting back into a relationship with God is that if four or five of us, and I, if four or five people, I won't say us because we could probably have a real good conversation if four or five of us went to lunch after church. But in a lot of places I've been after church, 
Monday afternoon, anytime. When you start talking about the Bible, you start talking about God, you start talking about anything that has to do with religion, the, the, the conversation is going to be about this long. Because people are going to find something else to talk about. We're going to talk about work. We're going to talk about how bad things have gone today. We're going to talk about anything but God. And I believe that today, in these perilous times that Timothy is being told about, we ought to be spending a whole lot more time talking about the Word of God than about the things of the world. The things of the world aren't going to last. The things of the world aren't going to help us any. But the Word of God. The Word of God. The Word of God. Continually being spoke. Luke chapter 5. We've got to grow and learn. We've got to become more a part of his word than we are a part of everything else. We, we've taken too many things that have been taught to us be Luke chapter 5 verses 12 and 13 when I get there. We, we've let too many things that have been taught to us become doctrine. Somebody out there said, this is how it works. How many of you have prayed this prayer? And we're, you'll, you'll see it in these two scriptures. How many of you have heard or, or, or even prayed the prayer, Lord, if it be your will, let it be done unto me. And we've taken that prayer from these verses. Verse 12 says, And it came to pass, when he was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy, who seeing Jesus, first of all, he had heard about him, he had to have heard about him, or it wouldn't have mattered who he saw, because Jesus wasn't anybody, according to Isaiah, that we would be attracted to, that we'd want to run to. He didn't have a big sign on his chest that said Superman. He didn't have anything that would draw us to him, except the light of God that shone through him. His teaching, his preaching, and his healing. And he did it in that order. He taught, he preached, and he healed. So he saw him and fell on his face and besought him, saying, Lord, if you are willing. And that's where we take our prayer from. But Jesus, in the next few words, gives us the answer and the way we ought to pray. I am willing. I am willing. Several scriptures through the Bible where he's talked to people who needed a healing, he told them. And they asked him first, if you're willing, if you will, be clean. And immediately, immediately the leprosy left. Yes. We focus on the question that the leper asked instead of the answer that Jesus gave. We need to focus more on Jesus' answers, Jesus' words, the things he's told people, than on our, on our own problems. Right. I have a problem. I need, I need help. But where am I going to find that help? The same place Jesus found it. Jesus found everything he needed from the Word of God. Yes. Because he spent time. He, spent, he, did, he made an effort. He went off by himself when he could. What didn't happen very often, but when he could... And spent time in the face of God. Amen. And God instructed him what he's going to do next, where he's going, how he's going to work. We can do the same thing through that Holy Spirit that lives in us. Amen. So 
So by basing our, our, our belief on such ideas, we've done what this next scripture we're going to read in, ver in Matthew 15 tells us. When we make the, the problem being spoke of in the, in the Bible, our prayer, or the question being asked of Jesus, are you willing, will you do this, can you do this, however you want to phrase it, Matthew 15, 6 says, So by this we have, we have invalidated the Word of God, made it of no effect. The Word can't work if we don't believe what the Word says. Every place that he's being talked about in here, Jesus, Jesus, that name above every name, that, that most powerful name in the universe, all of that, Jesus is one thing, the Word of God. John chapter 1 verse 14 says, And the Word became Jesus, became flesh, and dwelt among us. For three and a half years, those disciples had the Word of God walking right with Him. Amen. Through the Bible, it's been handed down to us, and through us knowing the, the end of the book, how everything turns out, how everything worked for Him, and ultimately for His disciples, for Paul, for everybody else who practiced what they were taught, it worked for them. Worked real simple. Peter and John just walked up to the man at the gate, beautiful. What do you want? He's expecting to get some money. We ain't got no money. But what I have, I'm going to give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. And Nazareth, Nazareth, rise up and walk. Took him by the hand and his legs were immediately made whole. Amen. And it was done. Hallelujah. But we invalidate the word of God through our misuse of the word of God. He gave, he gave his disciples power and authority over all demons yes. to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the gospel. He sent them and gave them power and authority. He couldn't send them with nothing. I, don't, I haven't figured out yet how he did that walking the earth. He had the Holy Spirit completely within him, but he gave them. We'll have to ask that when we get there because I, I can't figure that part out. But he sent them. He gave them power of authority. Authority is the permission to use the power. They had permission to use the power he gave them. He gave them power over everything. Where did he get the power? Where did we get the power? And when did he receive this authority? Well, most people will say that Jesus had the authority and the power all along. But, but, he had to show it to us how we were to get it. Right. He was God incarnate. Right. But he was also human. So one day, when it's time, he comes walking up to the River Jordan. And here's this wild man in the river drowning people. <laughs> or something. And Jesus came to John. John knew who he was. Amen. John knew what he was. And Jesus said, baptize me, John. And John said, whoa, you baptize me. I, Jesus says, no, this has to be done. Everything has to be done in an order. 
Jesus had to do everything in an order. He was born. He was a baby. He grew up. He went through all kinds of hell on earth, I would imagine, as a child. Learning, reading the scrolls, doing the things he had to do to get to the point where when he was 30 years old, he was ready to go down in the water. And when he came up, the Spirit of God descended upon him like a dove. And he received his power. Works the same for us. As a born-again believer, we receive the Holy Spirit into us. Into us. But at some point in our walk with God, the Holy Spirit has to come upon us. We have to be filled to overflowing. So that the power can just run out. When this happens, how do I do this? Most churches concentrate, focus on what happens when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. I believe that. But what is these words of tongues that we speak. Two different words used and are not always used correctly, I don't think. Speaking in tongues and praying in tongues. I believe they're two different entities. To speak in tongues is just that. It's a communication. It's a it's a prophecy. It's it's a God-given Word that needs to be interpreted at some point. Let's go to Zephaniah chapter 3. That's a prophet you hear about a lot. Zephaniah. Zephaniah is talking about when Jesus comes. And the Holy Spirit comes. In Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 9, Zephaniah says, For then I will turn my Bible. My, I, I read the old King James. I'm sorry. I know I'm not. <laughs> Mine says, For then will I turn the people a pure language. It actually says, Restore the people. A pure language. That they may call upon the name of the Lord. And serve him with one accord. Can you remember those two words? One accord. Underline those words. One accord. But the word I want to concentrate on here mainly. Is the word restore. He's going to restore to his people a pure language. If he's going to restore something to me, when did he take it away? When did that pure language leave? Go to Genesis chapter 11. Everybody knows this story. But I wonder how far we've really read it. Zephaniah, or... Genesis chapter 11 is the story of the Tower of Babel. And the whole earth was of one language. 
and one speech. I wonder what that language was. Some people will say Hebrew, but he didn't establish Israel till chapter 12. We've got to go over another book to find Israel in that language. So I don't believe it was Hebrew. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east, and they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said to one another, Go, let us make brick, burn it thoroughly. We have brick, from, brick and stone and asphalt for mortar. And they said, Go and let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach up unto heaven. And let us, and let us, and let us make a name. Thus we be scattered abroad upon the face of the earth. And the Lord, watching what they're doing, came down. Now, we'll stop there a second and let me just... Do a Charlieism. That work? <laughs> the Lord came down, and I'm going to be Him for just a minute. And all you people are building this tower. And I'm going to kind of look around, see what you're doing, and I'm going to come up to somebody or two or three people and say, What are you all doing? So, well, we're building a tower to heaven. Uh, really? How's that working out for you? Say, we're going pretty good so far. Okay, well, just press on. Have a nice day. But that's not what God said. Because God was actually concerned. God was uneasy in what they were doing. And the Lord said, behold, the people is one. Can you say, in one accord? And they have all one language. They can all understand each other. They can all reach him. And they begin to do, and now, here's a big word. Nothing will be restrained from them. Anything they do, in one accord... With one language, nothing will be withheld from them. So at that point, God scattered them. He confounded their language. Nobody could understand each other anymore. There was little groups here and there, but they all had to, they couldn't communicate. Okay? Well, a few thousand years later, in Acts chapter 2, something else happened. You go to Acts chapter 2. We all know this story too. I'm not telling you nothing you don't know. Acts chapter 2 verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come. Now that's a scary word to some people out there in the world. Pentecost. Because it reminds them of a word that really makes them nervous, and that's Pentecostal. I've been in some Pentecostal churches. They're pretty rowdy. Pretty rowdy. But I'm going to tell you the definition of the word Pentecost and what a big word it really is. Pentecost in the Greek, and hang on to your seats because this is scary. Pentecost. 
Pentecost means 50. That's all it means. When 50 days had fully come. Why 50 days? Because back in Leviticus, God changed Pentecost. In Exodus, when they left, 50 days from the day they left Egypt till they got to Sinai and God handed down the Ten Commandments, that was the first Pentecost. But God changed it. In Leviticus, he changed it to the Feast of Weeks. From the day after the Sabbath, seven weeks and a day. So from the day after the Sabbath, that's the day Jesus rose from the dead, seven weeks and a day was Pentecost. And on that day, there was a sound as of a rushing mighty wind and tongues of fire came and set on each one and they all spoke with other tongues and they went outside and they witnessed all these nations that had come together, all these people who had come together And it says that they heard, and that word heard in the Greek means understood. The miracle wasn't what they were saying. The miracle was that everybody out there understood what they were saying in their own language. So on the first Pentecost, there was a sound from heaven on the mountain at Sinai. The law was handed down and 3,000 people died. On the day of Pentecost, there was a sound from heaven. The Holy Spirit was given and 3,000 people were saved. The law brings death. The Spirit brings life. Simple? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. But how do we get all this stuff to work in us? First of all, we've got to turn away from the world. I've got to quit being so involved in the things of the world. I know what's happening in Israel, and I feel really bad for the people, both sides. I feel bad for the Palestinian people, the, the civilians who are being killed because there's a war. I feel bad for the Israeli people because the war is going on, and people and property is being destroyed. But you know what? They're not going to destroy God's people. They are not going to destroy God's people. Israel is going to triumph. They've been put down before. They've been taken captive. They've been beat up. They've had everything happen to them, but they always come back. As an Air Force air, aircraft maintenance guy, I've, I've worked with a lot of really good fighter pilots in our Air Force. And I had one tell me one day, we were just having a conversation about war and fighting and, and the airplanes and all the stuff that goes on. He said, you know what? I don't, I'm not afraid to fight against any Air Force in the world except one. He said, I don't ever want to have to go to war against Israel because they have the finest fighter pilots in the world. I thought, wow, that's saying something. Americans are always, we're the ones. But he don't want to go to war against Israel. Because he knew he'd lose. So the authority for his ministry, Jesus' ministry, as we, we were talking back here, was passed to him from John in baptism. As he was baptized now, he was put under in death, raised up in life, received the Holy Spirit. John's ministry was going away. Jesus' ministry is about to start.
the way through the rest of the Bible now, as Jesus walked, <clears throat> first he had to be tempted. Of course, he went into the wilderness, tempted three times by the devil, told the devil three times, hit the road, I ain't playing with you. We're not going to worry about none of this. You have no authority over me. You can't touch me. Yes. Can we all say the same thing? What do you got out there? I got a package for you. Not for me, you don't. That's right. That's right. This body doesn't belong to me anymore. You're trespassing here. I want you to get out. You have no authority here. I have authority over you. Jesus gave it to me. Go away. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. That word flee means to run in great terror. Run in great terror. If I'm submitted to God and I resist the devil, he has to run from me. Not like he did with the seven sons of Sceva. He knew what that was. Who are you? What we need to know, we need to make sure, down in our knower, pastor always talks about, in your knower, make sure the enemy and his little wimps know without a shadow of a doubt who you are. When your feet hit the floor in the morning, all hell says, oh no, they're awake. Because they know that you're going to stomp their head. Back in Genesis, God said, I put enmity between you and the woman, and there'll be one that'll stomp your head. I'm that devil stomper. I wish I had that song. Delway has a song. It's called Devil Stomper. I'm a devil stomper. We have all the power. We have the authority to use it. That's what Jesus meant when he said, All power in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go. Go was the power of attorney. The handover to you and me that you can now use all power in heaven and earth. Go do it. But when things happen, when we go into the, when we come into the church, when, when we, when we see somebody out there, the question has been asked several times about casting out demons, or been discussed about casting out demons. Jesus never ever looked back. Get out, you don't belong there. And he went on, cursed the tree, spoke to a tree, and it died. But he never looked back at it. He spoke to it. He walked on. He was done. Most of us do it a different way. Here's a person with a sickness. Here's a person with a, 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 some sort of malady that's going on in their body. And we need to call our prayer warriors. We need to get a hold of the pastor. We need, to, we need to get all the people together we can find to help us out here. When all I have to do is speak the word. And whatever I'm talking to is supposed to, has to. Obey. John ten or John fourteen verses ten through fourteen. I mean, when Jesus did things, people were just amazed. But in one scripture, they were amazed. And in a few lines, they wanted to shove him off a cliff. 
because they realized who he, who he was in the natural. Here's this man who speaks the word that's not like the scribes. The scribes, the scribes I assume or think, probably preached a cookie-cutter message. It's, it was one handed down from the, the archdiocese or from whoever hands them down to some of these preachers who preach the same message every other week. And there's been people out there that have tried to make us to be cookie-cutter Christians. Now, a cookie-cutter message is one thing, but a cookie-cutter Christian. Those of you who make cookies know when you get the dough rolled out and you take the cookie-cutter, what's left over? There's still dough left over. So when you say, this is what a Christian should look like, this right here, this shape, this, these clothes, these, these ornaments, this is what the Christian should look like. You're saying that God doesn't know when is enough. You're leaving a lot of dough out of the Christian. I may have something, I may not look like that person, but I may have something that he don't. But when you make us all have to look the same, then you've said that God doesn't know. What's enough for me and enough for you and enough for you? We don't want to leave any dough out of the Christian. Amen. But in John 14, verse 10, Jesus said, Jesus said, Jesus said, Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. This is what the centurion understood. This is what us who have been in the military, who have worked other places, who have done other things, un under someone understand the authority that a police officer, police officer has authority to use the power that's been given to him. Does he have the power to stand in the middle of the road and stop that car coming at him? No. But we have learned to respect the badge, the person of the cop, and understand his authority. And we better understand if we run over him that there's going to be a thousand of them coming after us that's going to come put an end to that. But I don't think sometimes we understand the authority that we really have. Verse 11, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or also believe, for, believe me for the sake of the works. Most assuredly, absolutely, without a doubt, no lie here, guys. I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, you'll do also. You'll do also. He expected that when he left. He expects everyone from the time he left until... The time passed us to do the works he's doing. And as far as I can see, we're not doing that. I could point out there, but there's three pointing back at me, so I'm still in trouble. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything, that's another big word, anything, in my name I'll do it. 
Will he do anything we ask? No. If it's in, if it's in accordance with the will of God, he'll do it. We've got to be smarter than some of these people out there who believe he'll do anything. So I can just ask him to take Bill here and run him out and let a truck run over him. I don't like him, so I want a truck to run. No, he ain't going to do that. Thank God. <laughs> I do like Bill. He's a nice guy. <laughs> Jesus knew absolutely who and whose he was. And where the authority came from. According to these verses, we can know the same thing about who and whose we are. If we just enter into a relationship, and I mean a close relationship with God the Father. We've got to find time. We've got, we've got to make time. We can't say I'm too busy. I like Pastor's analogy of busy. Burdened under Satan's yoke. I'm not burdened under Satan's yoke. I'm never too busy. But I mean, when he came, when he came to the town, when he, when he, the, the guy with the, with the unclean spirit, he rebuked the spirit, and, and, and then he was done. The spirit left. Everything was cool. Him and the guys went on. They went to Peter's house. Peter's mother-in-law was sick. Jesus walked in, just spoke to the fever. Fever left. She got up and cooked him dinner. That's my kind of mother-in-law now. <laughs> But it's not God's power. It's not Jesus' power. It's not the Holy Spirit's power. It's ours. Amen. We need them for it to work through us. We need them. But they expect us to do it. We, we they expect us to lay hands on the sick. And that's a, that's a problem I've had for a little while. And I've never ever asked anybody about it. But you know, the scripture says, If, if there be any sick among you, question mark, What does it say to do next? Who's supposed to call for the elders? The person. But what do we normally do? We'll sit here in this congregation with something going wrong in our life and wait for the pastor to say, uh, anybody sick out there? Anybody need any prayer for anything? That's not what it says to do. It says if there be anybody out there, let him call. It's not my job. It's not pastor's job. It's not anybody else's job to ask. It's your job to let us know. Let him know. Let somebody know what you need. Then we can lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Because I laid hands on you? No. Because you let your faith find that point of contact. You released your faith through what you know anointing is in me or in pastor or in whoever is doing this. You're going to release your faith through that. But we're so busy waiting on somebody else. I need the pastor to make the altar call. No, you don't. There's the altar. That's right. That one guy, that one poor dude, if he'd waited for himself to find a way to get there, if he hadn't had four good buddies to carry him to the house, and then they couldn't get in, and one of them was smart enough to say, hey, let's get up on the roof. We can get him down through the top. We're going to get him in there somehow. Amen. That's how we have to be. I know, I know this about this person. I can talk to this person. Say, listen, go, go get it taken care of. 
Let me help you. Let me do something. I have a job to do. He rebuked the demon. He rebuked the fever. Jesus took the keys from, from the devil. Amen. Keys represent authority. Keys that they talk about in Revelation 1.18 represents authority. Adam gave dominion, authority to Satan the day he ate from the tree. Jesus came and took it back. And I mean, he took it back. I could tell you a story, but it takes too long. Oh, you know what? We got a minute. I'll tell you what happened the day Jesus died, okay? They rolled the stone in front of the tomb after they put him in there. And everybody left, except the guard, some of the people. And from out of the shadows stepped this figure. Dark, ugly figure. And he walked over to the, it was Satan. He walked over to the tomb and he folded his arm. And he said, Ha! Well, God, what now? I've won. You sent your one and only son like a lamb to the slaughter. He's dead. He's buried. I've won. What am I going to do now? All I've ever done for the last four or five thousand years is fight against God. Now I've beat him. What am I going to do? He thought a minute and he went back to his office. He called his secretary. Her name's Demona. <laughs> he said, I beat God. I've seen these people do this once or twice up there on earth, and uh, I think I'll, uh, I'll try it out. It's called a picnic. I think I'll take a picnic. He said, so if you don't mind, get my picnic basket and get it ready, and I'm going to talk to my two lieutenants here about what I want them to do, and then I'm going to go have a picnic. So Demona got the picnic basket, and she filled it up with the things that the devils like. Deviled ham, <laughs> deviled eggs. <laughs> jalapeno peppers the big ones the big real hot ones you know so Satan talked to his two uh, lieutenants death and corruption and he told them he said I got this Jew up there in that tomb and I want you to make sure he stays there you know we've heard all the stories that in three days he's going to rise from the dead and all this but I want you to get a hold of them they said don't you worry anybody we've ever got our bony fingers on has never come out of the ground we'll take care of this so Satan's happy now. He's got his picnic basket and he takes off on his picnic. And his picnic lasted three days. And he come back from the picnic and he walked down to his office and here's his two lieutenants. Oh man, don't tell me. Well, I tried to put corruption on him. But I just couldn't. Death said, I tried to hold him, but I, as soon as I got my hands on him, he flew out of that, burned the sleeves right off my best robe. Satan's shaking his head, and he looks down one of the longest, darkest corridors in hell. 
And at the end of that corridor, he sees a light. For the very first time in all of eternity, he sees a light. And that light keeps walking closer and closer. And as he walks by the cells where the people are held, they spring open, they come out, they're praising God, they're singing hallelujah. And as he gets closer, he sees who it is. It's Jesus. Not the beaten, broken sacrifice of the cross, but the risen Savior. Jesus walks up to him. He grabs death in one hand and he throws him that way. He grabs corruption in the other hand, throws him that way. And he picks up Satan by the collar and he shakes him three times and says, Give me them keys, turkey. (laughs) Cast him aside, takes the keys, puts his hand in the middle of the gates of hell and pushes them down. And he takes the keys and he goes through them. A's, B's, till he finds the J's. And he finds Jesus in Nazareth. Nazareth. And he said, I'm going to take my key, devil. You know what? As I look into the future, I can see a lot of others that are going to need their keys. So while I got them, I think I'll just take them all. He said, I can look now and I can see A, B, C. I see in a little church in Branson, Missouri, In 1976, a guy named Charlie Long, and he's going to need his key. So he took all the keys, he went back to heaven, and on the corner of Hallelujah Boulevard and Praise Avenue, he set up a key shop. And he's been doing the job ever since. That's what happened that day. Believe it or not. I can't take credit for that story. I heard it a long time ago from a Christian comedian named Mike Warnke. And uh, he goes into more depth. I, I, I did it once at Easter time. I talked about it. And he talks about a lot more. But I like the ending of the story. Because the devil gets beat. He pushed the, gate, pushed the gates of hell down. Nothing. No, the gates can't hold us. We're to give the devil no place. If we submit ourselves to God, he'll flee from us. We're to be sober, be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion. He's not a roaring lion. I always compare this part of it to the the Wizard of Oz. You've all seen the Wizard of Oz, I assume. <clears throat> at the end where, where the wizard is the big flames and the big head and he's big voice and Toto runs over and opens the curtain. Yes. Don't worry about that guy behind the curtain. And when he finally get it open, who are you? I'm the great and powerful wizard of Oz. Satan in his lion suit ain't no more than some little wimp. But he goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he <coughs> may, may devour. And I wasn't very good in English in high school, but I do know the difference in may and can. I can punch somebody in the nose. May I punch you in the nose? And maybe I may get a different answer than can I. 
But he goes about seeking whom he may devour. And he may not devour me because I ain't going to let him. <clears throat> he's not God's adversary. He's not Jesus' adversary. He's not the Holy Spirit's adversary. He's mine. And he's trying to destroy me every chance he can. He doesn't worry too much about the unborn believer. He doesn't worry too much about the person who isn't saved because he's already got them for now. He wants to destroy us because he knows that at some point we may talk to that person that he wants to take with him and we may help them to be converted. He doesn't want that to happen. So in Mark 16, I'm going to wrap it up here in just a second. Mark 16, Jesus, again, red letters, Jesus talking. 16, 15, and he said to them, go into all the world, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. And we say, Amen. Amen. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. And we say, Amen. And these signs shall follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Sometimes we don't get a big amen out of that. But we should. It takes just as much faith to believe 15 and 16 as it does to believe 17. Just as much faith. And again in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority, all, 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 A-L-L, what a big word, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Go therefore, make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. John passed the authority from himself to Jesus through baptism. Jesus passed the authority and permission and power to us when he left. He's with us always. Who is he? He's the word made flesh to dwell among us. Physically he left, but spiritually, spiritually he and the word are still with us always. Hopefully. We can't make disciples until we witness and see him saved. We can't witness and see him saved until we go. We can't go without authority. We have all authority in heaven and the earth. So, go. Go. We pray you were blessed by the message we were able to share with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to find out more about our ministry, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.